If you will, take your Bible and turn to the book of Psalms, 105th Psalm. I'm not going to cover the whole psalm tonight, but I just want to get a couple of thoughts from it to share with you and then show you some things that will really can help you in your life. I believe people ought to focus on the future. Focus on the things that are ahead. Don't look back. You can't go back. You can't change the past. But you can start today and make the right decisions of whatever it may be for you to have a better relationship between you and the Lord. What I want you to do is look there in Psalms 105 and verse 7. Verse 7. Look at this verse. It says, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. The word judgment here means that God has made decisions during the lifetime of man and is making judgments, carrying out sentences, executing his divine justice. Now we know that one day it will be when we get to heaven and we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to reward us for what we did. So that's a judgment. It's a rewarding stand, really. We know that there's the great white throne judgment where God is going to issue his everlasting decree about those who have never trusted him as Savior and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. So that's a judgment that is coming. But you and I sometimes lose sight of the fact that during our lifetime, God is still on the throne and he's still making decisions. Uh, for example, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, did God make a decision during the lifetime of man? Yes. He judged one sin. So one sin got him out of the garden. So what do they have to do in order to get back into it? Well, if one sin took them out, the only way they could get back is not to have any. Think about it. If one sin could take them out of the garden, then they'd have to be perfect to get back in. And that's exactly the way it is. That's why no man can get into heaven or into the presence of God without being perfect. That's why we needed to trust Christ as our Savior. But God made a decision. And that was during the lifetime of Adam and Eve. But not only that, when he brought the flood, was that a decision that God made and God executed his judgment in the earth because of what the people were doing, how they were living? Yes, God made a decision. Wasn't God actively involved whenever the children of Israel went down into Egypt? God's the one that sent them there. And whenever they were there and they multiplied to two and a half million people, was it not God that worked in the lives of Moses down there in Egypt and bringing on these plagues and so forth and brought the children out of Egypt? God was actively involved. It was the Lord that raised up David to be the king of Israel. And on down the line, whenever they disobeyed the Lord, God said he would send in the heathen nations and they would whoop them and then they would... Israel would cry out to God and he would, uh, you know, bring peace in the land. And then they would keep going into the cycle. And that's what you read in the book of Judges. So as you go down through time, you'll find out God has been actively involved in what's going on. But unless you know the Bible and can see things from God's perspective to you and I or the natural man, it's like God isn't busy. God isn't doing anything. I mean, it's just like a dull, boring life and God is not... God, you know, he might have created it, but he only took a vacation and left us here to struggle through this thing. I believe personally that God is personally involved in my own life. And you're supposed to believe that in your life. That God has opened up doors, and you're supposed to believe that God closes doors. You're supposed to believe that God blesses and that God chastens. You're supposed to believe all of that. Why? Because it's taught in the Bible. 
Many people live their whole lives and never see the hand of God working in their life. But you and I are supposed to believe that God is working. And I believe he is too. But look here in Psalms in 105. And you'll notice what he says there in verse 11. He said, I will give them the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance. This is what he did. Verse 12, when they were few in number, and they were few. There's only about 70 that went down in the, to uh, Egypt. Then in verse 14, he suffered no man to do them wrong. In other words, God would not permit anybody to wrong his people. You remember whenever they wanted to take Abraham's wife and God intervened. God says, oh, no, you don't. You can't have her. God protected. And you'll find out that God was at work. And God was making decisions. And his judgments are in all the earth. And that even today, you're supposed to believe that God is working in your own life. Now, only by reading and studying the Bible can you find out what he is doing. I see clearly now, or I should say more clear, looking back over my life and how God has done things, than I was back there looking forward because I couldn't see nothing. I had no clue where anything would ever lead. But now I can see how the Lord has used that illustration in my life, and God used that problem, and that problem, and that problem, and that trial, and that experience, and all these tests. I can see how all of that God has been able to use because I have been able to use those illustrations to put some salt and pepper upon the eggs. Make your life flavor. In other words, your life is not a dull, boring existence when you can see how God is actively involved in what's going on. But if you don't see that, you don't want to get up sometimes and face the day because you don't see anything happening. We're living in a time where there's a lot of things that happen. I got three emails this week from lawyers warning me about what's going on in Washington because now we have some new people up in Washington with some new power and they're trying their best to clamp down on people voicing their opinion about what's going on in government. And I was driving someplace, yeah, on my way up to Atlanta, and I was even listening to uh, Neil Bortz, and then that guy, uh, Rush Limbaugh, was listening to him a little bit. And they both were talking about how that they're trying to shut down the talk radio because they're conservative, and they warned the people about decisions that they're making up in Washington. So now they, got about, they want to take and put a fine upon them that they can't say anything about what's going on in Washington. Now that is silencing a person's First Amendment rights. The right of free speech. And it won't just apply to them, but it'll also apply to preachers. And they sent, I had two different lawyer groups that sent us emails saying to pray and send emails warning about how they're trying to silence the preachers so that we can't say what we want to say without being fined. We would get one year in jail and about $5,000 fine or something like that. It was on up there. Can you see that if they passed a law like that, that I wouldn't say what I think I ought to say? You know what they'd be doing to me? They'd put me in jail. Now, I ain't done nothing to nobody. But I should have the freedom today that I had a year ago, or we had 200 years ago. Why didn't we have the same freedom? Who gave them the right to take away our right? They don't have a right to do it. So it is the will of the American people, or it should be the command to them from the Constitution, to defy the law that they make that prohibits us from enjoying our freedom. That's the last hope that we have, is we learn how to say that word that nobody likes to say to government. No. No. 
I will not obey. The government is not my God. The government's not my God. The state, not my God. The God of this Bible, He is my God. And I will serve Him, and therefore I, this is where I will stand, and if I uh, suffer the consequences I must, then so be it. But what I want you to also see, look in verse 16, where he says, Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. Who did that? God did. God's when he called that famine. So why did Jacob have to send his sons down into Egypt? Because of what had happened. There was a famine. Well, who brought the famine? God said, I did that. Note what else he said in verse 17. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. Who sent Joseph? God says he did it. But notice Joseph in his family... He had all these brothers, these 11 brothers that hated him. 11, how would you like to be in a family and 11 of them hate you? Have you ever been in a family where your brother or your sister, you know, just couldn't get along? You just can't, you fight all the time? I had six kids in our family. <laughs> fought all the time. And most of the time, if you've got brothers and sisters, you do get a subscribe. But if somebody ever picked a fight on one of the other ones, man, we all jump in and kill them. We'd have a fight. It's okay for us to fight against our own, but now don't you pick on them. Now, whenever it came to Joseph, all of his brothers turned against him. Did you know that they sold him to a caravan, the Ishmaelites, going down into Egypt? But who's the one that did that? God says, I'm the one that I sent him down there. God uses the wickedness of man to also fulfill his will. In other words, there's things that will happen in your life and you don't see that. Joseph did not see that what he had done. What did he have done wrong? He can't help he had those dreams. He had a dream. And he told them this dream. And they said, who do you think you are? Better than we are and holier than we are? And they got mad at him, get jealous. Because the daddy made him a coat, a coat of many colors. So they got jealous and envious. Well, did God know all of this whenever he uh, gave that young kid these dreams? But God knew all of that. Did he know what his brothers were going to do? Yeah. And that, when that caravan would come by at the right time? Yeah, God knew that. And God said, I, I, I sent him down there to get ready for y'all to come down here so they would have a place to live and grow as a nation uh, for about 400 years. 400 years they were down there. God said, I did all of that. And see in verse 19, until the time, until the time, God said, I did all of that, until the time that his word came. And then the word came, Moses, go down here and tell them Pharaoh, let my people go. So God was actively involved. Now just because Joseph couldn't see what God was doing, but God was working, and he had to trust the Lord. We don't understand all this stuff. All we're supposed to know is it is working, and God is real, and I want to be on his good side and not his bad side. I want you to take your Bible, look in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Just turn to your right there, a few pages. Proverbs in chapter 3. There are many, many promises in the Bible. Many promises of which God says that he will now be working and doing things. God can give guidance and also direction in your life. God does that. One of the greatest things that I have enjoyed over the years is trusting that God is guiding me, that God is directing. That doesn't mean I made all the perfect decisions. When you drive down the highway, do you make all, do you drive perfectly? I mean, when I'm driving behind a wheel, I mean, I'm over this way and I'm over this way. Sometimes I can even go across the line. Sometimes I've even gone off the road. But, I, you know, I try to keep it inside those things and drive down the road. You don't have to drive perfectly, but you can stay in the side of the thing. And you try to keep from getting hit and somebody from hitting you and weaving and all that. Whatever you got to do. 
But I managed to get to church every Sunday. I've been doing it for how many years? But I didn't do it perfect, but I got here. You see, God can be directing you and leading you, but that doesn't mean you made every decision right, because you'll go this way, and then you'll decide to go this, and then you'll decide and decide, decide, decide. All those are decisions, just like you're driving a wheel. You decide to do this, you decide to do that. Can God interrupt and close a door? God can do all these things. But that's what God does. Now look there in Proverbs in chapter 3, and look in verse 5. Verse 5, where he makes this statement, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That means with all of your being, everything that you have, trust in the Lord. And get what he says, lean not. Have you ever leaned on something and it give way? I have. I've leaned on a pole and it give way. I've leaned on a wall and have it give way. You can lean on people and they give way. But the Lord says, lean not, and get what he says, lean not unto thine own understanding. Now what do you think that means? Think about it for a second. Don't just read that verse. Oh, I know that verse. I can quote that verse. Think what it says. Lean not. He says, trust in the Lord, but when he says lean not, it means don't trust your understanding. Because the lean not is not to lean upon what you understand. Trust in the Lord means to lean on Him. Lean on Him. Trusting Him. So he says, lean not unto thine own understanding. Get in verse 6. In how many of your ways? All of thy ways do what? All of thy ways Acknowledge God. The word acknowledge means to thank God. Think. Think. In all your ways, every decision you make, try to think. Before you act, think. What are the consequences of my decision? Where is this leading me to? So, think God. Think about the Lord. And that's why he says this. And all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Look at that last promise. Is that a promise? He shall direct thy path. When? When I get to heaven? I don't need it then. Before I was born, I don't need it then. I need it now. So is God willing to work in my life now? Yes. And he says, don't trust yourself. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge God, and he shall direct thy path. So you're supposed to believe that the Lord has got a path for you and that you're walking according to the path that he's laid down. Get what he says in verse 7. The first part of verse 7, you ought to underline him. Be not, what, wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and look at those next three words, depart from evil. You ought to underline that in your Bible. Now, when we talk about trust in the Lord, lean not unto mine own understanding, and then when he says, be not wise in thine own eyes, depart from evil, what do you think he means by that? Depart from evil. I would translate that as depart from evil. See how easy it is to understand the Bible? It's not hard. It's not complicated. Now, Take your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. The book of Hebrews in chapter 13. Way over there in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 13. As you live your life, and you can't go back, like I said, but you have this year. This is a new year. It ought to be better than last year. Well, it won't be any better than last year if you don't make the changes necessary for this year. And so in Hebrews, in chapter 13... Look what it says in verse 5. In verse 5. This has to deal with you and I living our lives, every day of our lives, believing that we are in God's presence. Do you believe that you are in the presence of God? Adam and Eve used to live in the presence of God. And then whenever they sinned, then he had to kick them out of the garden. And only by sacrifice they were able to have communion with God. Now look in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. 
Let your conversation, that means your behavior, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now understand what he's saying here. Many people, their happiness, their joy is based upon what they have. If they have a lot, well, I'll be happy. If I don't have very much, I won't be happy. That's not what this verse says. It says, be content with such things as you have. Be content. And the reason was, the last part of the verse, says because you have not lost the most important thing. What are your priorities? Let's just pretend. Look up here. Here's the Lord. Here's all the things of the world. Which one should bring you the greatest joy? The Lord's presence or all these presents? What would you rather have? Careful. And he says, you cannot lose me. He said, I will never forsake you and never leave you. I have him with me. How long? Always. So if I don't have this, I still got him. And if I got him, I got the best. He can give me everything else I need. But if I have these and I don't have him, I can lose these and still don't have him. Get it? So it's better to have him and be content with nothing. Because the greatest thing is to have the Lord. Because if I've got the Lord and he'll never leave me and never forsake me and he promised me certain things, I can trust him to give me whatever I need. So many people, they fall in love with the things and not the Lord. So as you go through life, God is going to give you and take from you because it's testing whether or not are you completely satisfied if all you had was the Lord. That's easy preaching and hard living, I tell you right now. Now look there in John chapter 14, the gospel of John and chapter 14. We're going through life. We want to make sure as we go through life, we have the most important essentials in our life to help us to do what we're supposed to do. What is the most important thing? Knowing the word of God so that you can know the promises of God. God's made a lot of promises to us. So there's greater things that we can do. Look there in John chapter 14 and verse 12. Verse 12. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do, and you ought to underline that word, also. Greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. God, Christ says, I'm going to my Father. I'm going to leave you here. And he's talking here mainly to his disciples. But there's truths that we can learn from these principles that he laid down. When I leave, I'm going to let you have the indwelling Holy Spirit to live within you. And he will teach you, comfort you, guide you, bless you, power you, whatever. And you're going to do some mighty things. So if it says here, and greater works shall you do, that's future. You should always look and dream and and dwell upon the th fact that, you know, God can use you in a great way. Always believing that your life doesn't have to be a boring, dull existence. It can be as exciting as you choose to make it. Believing that God is able to take anything in life 
and work it for His honor and glory, you may not see the full value of it until you get to heaven. But you can believe it now because it is now that it's being done. It's being done by the decision that you and I make at this time. When he makes the statement, works, greater works shall we do, and talking about doing this in the future because he says, I'm going to my Father, but there's things I want you to do. You and I are supposed to believe God has a work for us to do. And the work that he has for us to do is greater than the work that we choose to do on our own. Because there's always things that we want to do, places we want to go. But God says, if you will put yourself in my hands, I will bless you. Now let me give a, a simple illustration. A person used this recently. Had a person from the audience come up and uh, told that person, says, uh, young lady, would you please come up here? And so the lady came up here. He said, bring your purse. So she brought her purse. So she came up on the platform. He said, now we're going to pretend. I'm the Lord, and uh, you're, you're my servant. You trusted Christ as your Savior. Have you dedicated your life to the Lord? Yes, I have. And you want to serve the Lord? Yes, I do. With all your heart? Yes, I do. He says, so everything that you have, you've given it to the Lord? Yes, I have. Sounds good so far, huh? He says, give me your purse. So she put the purse up there on the podium. She says, um, take out your money. He said, now remember, you are going to go back to your seat better off than when you came up here. O open up your wallet. So she opened up. She had a couple hundred dollars in there. She says, give me that money. She gave him the money. Thank you. I appreciate that. She says, um, I think I'll just... Have your whole purse. Can I, can I have your whole purse? Yeah. Thank you. Says, um, that's a beautiful watch you have right there. I, I want that watch too. Okay. Took it off. Gave me a watch. Oh, that's a beautiful necklace. I, I want that necklace. So she gave him the necklace. Oh, I like that ring you have on your hand. You're married? Yes. I want that ring. You can't have my ring. I want, I want the ring. Oh, no, no, no. You can't have my ring. She says, you have a husband? Yes, I got a husband. And you can't have my ring. Okay, I'll just take your husband. No, you can't have my husband. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said you would give everything to the Lord. Yes, but. And she began to kind of retract from what she was saying. And by the way, oh, that's a beautiful little daughter you have sitting back there. I, I, I want the daughter too. You can't have my daughter. You see, it's so easy to say words. I surrender all. They say that, you know, when there are two people are fighting, and finally the one says, I surrender, I surrender. Means that I surrender means that I'm allowing you or giving you, you can take from me whatever you want. But, when you commit yourself to somebody, you're giving to somebody what you want. With the Lord is that we give up to His will, whatever it may be. But what God does is set us free. And so He wants us to voluntarily give to Him everything. But if we have to surrender to Him, it means that He's free to take everything. So, even though the Lord can take everything she has, 
The Lord wants you to surrender and to commit everything that you have and give it voluntarily. One is taking and the other one is giving. Now, in your Christian life, you have to make a choice. Do you want to give to the Lord or do you want the Lord to take from you? Now, remember, when he takes from you, he can take a lot more than you were willing to give. He can take your very life from you. Did you know that, Lord, whenever we work, we make a certain amount of money, we can give whatever we want to give to the Lord. But the Lord's the one that has emplaced upon our heart how much we should give. And if we don't give what we should, did you know that God is free to do what? Take all of it. He can take everything. Why? Because you didn't do what you should have done with a little, I can take all of it. So as you live your life, can God take your health? If God gives you good health and you don't use it for the Lord, can God take your health totally? Yeah. If you don't use your job as an opportunity to serve the Lord and the witness and so forth and take a strong stand, then you know God can take away the job. God can do all kinds. Of, God can work in our life. And I can see the judgment of the Lord in all the earth. And there are some people that say, I'm just having a hard time. It's just always hard. It's just always hard. Yeah, I know, but do you see God working? Can you see it? Maybe there's something or some lesson God wants us to learn. Something that we're supposed to correct, but we don't see it because we're not sensitive. We're, we're not really listening. We're not really looking. We're not really trusting the promises of God that He's laid down in His Word. But anyway, look there in verse 13. In John 14, in verse 13, there is the promise of answered prayer. Because there's times you're going to have to talk to somebody. God will always see to it that you cannot always share everything with somebody. That would be great if somebody could always, you know, be there to deliver you from a devastating dilemma. But sometimes you just got to go to the Lord. So that's what God wants. So look at verse 13. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. This is why we always say at the end of a prayer, in Jesus' name. We pray in His name. But it means more than that. It means that, God, we're asking you to sign the check. I'm trying to make a withdrawal from heaven because I need something. And God, the Father, won't let me have it out of the bank unless Jesus puts a signature to it. So we're always saying, I need this. Lord, would you sign it? Would you okay that? You're always asking Christ for permission to have whatever you're asking. Because, Lord, this is for your honor and this is for your glory. I need this because it'll honor you. Now, when you ask only to consume it upon your own lust, as it says in James, he says, then you're asking amiss. But all that we ask from the Lord should bring honor and glory to the Lord. Lord, I need a brand new pink Cadillac like Elvis Presley had. It says right there. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. But he also says there in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandment. Doesn't it? So I don't think God's will is for me to ask for that pink Cadillac. Nor, Lord, I'm going to play the lottery, and if you'll just let me win, I'll tithe 10%. See anything wrong with that? I mean, why can you go wrong with that? I'm willing to give 10% to the Lord. All I got to do is gamble to get it. No, I don't play the lottery. I don't even play bingo. I want to take and earn it the way that I'm supposed to, do right, and if God blesses, fine. If God doesn't, that's fine. I don't like any get-rich-quick schemes. 
Stay away from that stuff. Work by the sweat of the brow, earn what you get, and be content with it because you've got the Lord. And He can walk you through and you'll stay out of a lot more trouble. And in the long run, you'll have more than you ever thought you'd have. Now, in the last part of verse 13, I want you to see that. He says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, the Father has it all, but the Son has to give his approval. He has to sign the check. And so it comes out of the bank account of heaven. And he says, whatever you need, just come. Now, do you think you have more money in the bank than what God does? Would it be better if you had God, who has an unlimited supply, or you with a million dollars? Which would you rather have? I'd rather have God, who is the God of all of it, than have a million dollars in the bank. And I put my trust in that. I know some people that had over a million dollars, had over two million dollars in the stock market, and lost over two million dollars in the stock market a few years ago. I know them personally that lost that much money. Broke their little heart. I hate it when people have lost everything like that, but that's the game they play. And if they make it, they make it. And if they lose it, they lost it and so forth. I haven't never got yet where I can invest like that. I'm not against those that do. Praise the Lord. But there's a better way to live. And that's by trusting the Lord. I want you to look in Philippians in chapter 4. Philippians in chapter 4. And get this. This is a very important verse. Philippians chapter 4. And you'll notice there in this verse 19 where it says, But my God, my God, shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, do you believe the promise of God that if I serve the Lord and I do right, that my God has promised to supply all of my needs? Now, sometimes we need to learn a lesson. Sometimes we need to do without. Sometimes we have got to struggle so that we can learn that Christ is all I need. Isn't that easy to sing that verse? Christ is all I need. He's all I need. All I need. And then if God takes anything away, oh, they cry. Fall apart. He wasn't all they needed. They'd like to tack that on as oh, I'm spiritual, but let him take them away. Try you. See what really makes you tick. See where you are. But it says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Notice it does not say. It does not say, But my God shall supply all your greed. It doesn't say he'll supply everything you want. It says you need. And look in verse 13. In verse 13 he says, I can do all things through Christ, which does what? Which strengtheneth me. So there's things that God can do and work and so forth in your life, and he will strengthen you. Now, I want to close with this verse, but look there in the book of Romans in chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now, if we had time, we could look at the one in the, uh, in the book of Joshua, chapter 1 and verse 8, where you have to decide what does it mean to have success in your life. Success. Everybody has to define what is success to them. See, some girls, their success in life is just, I caught the man. I caught him. I got him. I got him. I got him. I'm successful. Well, okay, you're successful for the moment. 
And it doesn't mean that you're going to be forever happy. I mean, we've all watched, you know, the cowboy ride off into the sunset with a girl, you know, they live happily ever after. Uh, I think if you look around, it doesn't always end up that way. So there's a, a lot of things that we have to learn. But you have to decide what is success. Christ says that um, you serve me and honor me. He said, I'll honor you. So there's a way to win. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. You know, none of these words in this verse are big and hard to understand. They're all nice, simple, little bitty words. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. That's God's purpose. God has a purpose in your life. God is working in your life. He is either blessing you, and sometimes the blessings can be a form of chastening. Because for a parent to chasten a child, uh, that's a blessing in time to come. And so God is in teaching, and He's instructing, and He's helping you to learn. And one of the things God does is let us find out how miserable life can be without Him. And how great it can be if we did serve Him. Now there's another verse, but we don't take time to look at that verse. But it's the verse that's in the book of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 25. And it says, And this is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. God has promised us what? Eternal life when we trust Christ as our Savior. After we trust Christ as our Savior and we're God's children, it is the will of God that we learn these other promises because it deals with life. And after a while, you'll be able to see and say, you know, God has been teaching me something. God has taught me this. God taught me that. Boy, that was a lesson that I'll never forget. And God is going to bring trials in your life, intestines in your life. And some of them will become because of temptations in life. The Bible says we're alike passion of all men. We're, we're all the same. We all have a sinful nature. We all have a lustful nature. And we all crave sometimes the same things. We want fame, honor, power, glory. We want everything. We want things of the world. And we have to battle all of that against the desire for spiritual things. And that's why the Lord says, set your affections on things that are above, not on the things of this earth. So God is working in our life. And I hope that you believe that God is working in your life and to believe that. And notice that if I serve the Lord, God promised in His Word, God said He would bless me. And that's why I can stand up here today and tell you, God has to, has to bless me. Because He said that if I serve Him and put Him first in my life, He said He would. Then I have to believe that. And I don't have to worry about it. You don't have to live your life in fear. He will never leave me and never forsake me. And just like driving that car... You don't have to drive it perfectly, but you try to drive as safely as you can. And serving the Lord, you're not always making the perfect decisions every moment. But when you realize I did something wrong, I can correct it. Because sometimes I turn a little bit too far and I've got to turn it back this way. And then sometimes I'm going too fast. I'm always driving too fast. Did you notice the faster you go, the quicker you've got to make decisions. Sometimes the quicker you make decisions, the more mistakes you can make. But then if you go too slow, then they're going to ticket you because, you know, it says 40 miles an hour minimum speed limit. You've got to go fast enough or get off the road. Have you ever got up behind somebody and said, get off the road? You ain't got no place to go. You ought not be here. Every time I get in the car, there's always some little old lady will get in front of me and just poke along. And I'm in a hurry. I'm always in a hurry. 
and, and it's like the Lord, I, and I start laughing sometimes, the Lord put them there. And they'll slow me down. And then when they slow me down, I get on down the road there about a mile or so, and there's a cop sitting on the right-hand side. He'd have nailed me. He'd have got me. And I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But, of course, I, I, I blessed out that woman for a mile. Now, I'm glad y'all don't do that. Y'all, don't, y'all ain't like that at all. Look up here. This hand represents you and me, and the wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Hates our sin because it separates us from the Lord. You know what I had a good time doing? You know, last Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, I got a girl that was here that trusts the Lord. I just, I asked her a couple questions. I asked her, I says, do you know for certain that you're going to heaven when you die? She says, no, not real sure. I said, would you like to be sure? Yes. Now, this is already after I had given the gospel. But she did, she didn't catch it. She heard words. I said, come in the office. I took her in the office and I explained to her she trusted Christ as Savior. Do you know anybody could have got her? She was wide open. She was just ripe fruit ready for somebody to pick. Last Sunday night, Cena brought a, a guy in here. And I asked him, I says, where are you going when you die? He says, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So I gave the gospel last Sunday night, and he was sitting back there to trust the Lord, but I never got a chance to talk to him, but he was the first one to raise his hand. I was out yesterday, and I was knocking on some doors, and I knocked on this one door, and this girl, teenage girl, she came to the door, and she says, she says, my grandmama's not here. I said, I didn't come to see your grandmama. Oh, I came to see you. Oh. And another girl, she stepped out of the, the dark and came over there a little bit and kind of stayed back a little bit because she was shy. I said, what's your, what's your name? And it was, one was uh, Kimberly and one was Ashley. I says, um, I says, can I give you something? I gave her a, a track and so forth. I says, do you know for certain where you're going to go when you die? Because they're kind of shy because, you know, the other one was standing there looking at her. And, no, I'm not sure. And I said, well, if you could be sure. I said, you got a minute. I'm standing at the door. I don't go in unless I know there's a man there or the wife or something like that. And I said, I'll just stand right here. I just want to explain it to you. So you got a minute. Yeah. I said, you, come on over here. I can't hardly see you. She was peeking around the door. She came over. And I went ahead and pulled out my wallet and I explained it. I said, right now, will you trust Christ as your Savior? And they both said they trust the Lord. So by, by trusting the Lord, they can have eternal life and know they're going to heaven tonight. See, and all this other stuff, all this other stuff, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Whether you got your electric bill paid, whether you got food to eat, whether you got a, uh, that, if that person dies, they go to hell. That problem is a lot bigger than any other problem we'll ever have. Did you know that if you take care of these issues, God will take care of some of the other stuff. Things you worry about, God said, I'll take care of that. You just do this. And most people's problems because they won't do that. If, if you won't tell people how to have eternal life, you'll have a lot more problems in life than you ever dreamed. Because, see, you've got to solve those problems. Because God said, you do this, I'll take care of this. Put me first, seek me first. And he says, and all these other things will be what? Added unto you. They'll be taken care of. I said, I'll take care of that. But because, well, I ain't got time. Uh, I, you know, it's not, I don't know how to do it good. All that stuff. Th- those are excuses. That, that don't hold water. When we all get to heaven, that ain't gonna help. That ain't gonna cut it. God says, "You do this, and I'll take care of the rest." Of it. He says, "He that winneth souls receiveth wages." God says, "I'll pay you for that," and I believe that God will pay you to win souls, and that pay is going to come from a thousand different ways, blessings that you never dreamed. Lord is good. Anyway, Christ, He loves us, hates our sin, and for us to go to heaven to 
have to have perfection, and none of us are. And so Christ says that we need a Savior. This hand represents Christ. He's God in the flesh. He came into the world because he hates our sin, took it, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead, and said, if we'll believe he did it for us, he would give us eternal life. He put that payment to our account. We get to go to heaven on what he did for us. I believe that God's people for this coming year ought to determine in their mind, I'm going to win more people to Christ this year than I did last year. At least I'm going to make an attempt. I'm going to witness. My goal when I was young, I was 22 years old when I went to Bible college. I decided in my mind, I want to tell people how to have eternal life. And so for the last 40-something years, that's what my goal is. And I believe that God will bless you because of it. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we do thank you so much for watching over us and for blessing us for the free gift of eternal life. And Father, I pray your will to be done in our lives. And help us, Lord, as your children to realize how important it is to trust you with all our heart. To believe the promises that you've laid down in your word. And Father, for us to be the soul winners that we ought to be. One here, one there. Maybe not the masses, but just one here, one there. And bless us, Father. We thank you so much for being good to us and meeting our needs. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.